0: This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu Jitsu Podcast. Hello, Travis Stevens, thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: No problem. Happy to be here.
0: For the very few people who are going to be watching this who don't know who you are, I'm <laughs> Olympian, Olympic medalist, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt under Jan Danahar and Henzo. Yeah. Uh, longtime Judo competitor at the highest levels, like I said. And you're also a, uh, a partner at judo fanatics,
1: yep.
0: Fuji mats and, and sports.
1: Just working there, not a part. Working. Working.
0: working. working to Fuji sports, but also doing some light modeling, it seems. Yeah. Uh, I see you in my inbox almost every day, whether it's Atisha <laughs> a, a or, or Mizuno or Fuji. Uh, yeah. You know, they got you covered. Um, and I, I had a, an opportunity to speak with uh, Jimmy uh, last week who was incredibly gracious with his time and recommended that you and I speak. And we were admiring just how much you do and how much you've been doing in the business
1: world post your, your, uh, judo career. Yeah, it's definitely been a, been an uphill battle Uphil <laughs> battle. Yeah. I mean, following
0: your career has been a, a true honor. Anytime I get a chance to speak with someone who's at Olympic caliber and who's an Olympic medalist, I mean, it's, Real American hero stuff, and I, I'm completely sincere when I say that. So thank you for, you know, just killing yourself to to get to the top.
1: Oh, thank you for the support.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I had the opportunity to train over the years with uh, Harry and Gary St. Ledger oh, okay. you know, for my judo practice. Uh, even though I'm pr- primar- you know, primarily a Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete, uh, they were very influential, especially in the early years before Harry moved out to Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah. And uh so I love judo, even though it's not my uh, my primary focus. <laughs> Having just a, a couple tricks in the bag is so uh beneficial in a jiu It really is, it really is. Yeah. So uh yeah, so this project is called Business Jiu Jitsu, and I'm writing a book. It's my second book. My first book was called This Is It. It was a book about business, my first 10 years in business. And Brazilian jiu-jitsu and martial arts have been so impactful on my life, and even though I'm never going to be an Olympic quality athlete. The lessons that I've learned have helped me so much in business. And so I'm fascinated by the stories of people who uh, make the transition in their life and can apply those principles. Have you, have you found that these principles have helped you in business? A lot, a lot.
1: More than more than you would think, really.
0: Yeah. Is it explicit for you like there like are there are there things you're using on a daily basis that you're like, I learned that on the map, but it applies.
1: Well, I think it's more conceptual on what martial arts like humbles you as a person. And when you're a lifelong athlete, so to speak, the one thing you take away from that is a being coachable and b able to see trends within certain marketplaces, certain demographics, and being able to pull the trigger on instinct, I think is something else that athletes have an advantage of. You know, I think that's why you see a lot of high level wrestlers and stuff like trying to make it into the stock market and, you know, pull those legs because their gut instinct is usually pretty strong and they're not afraid to use it.
0: Funny enough, I was had the uh, privilege to train with John Cholish over the weekend. Have you ever encountered John on the mat? Yep. Yeah. He's, uh, I think he fits that bill pretty well. Mm-hmm. You, you said it so perfectly, and you encapsulated exactly what I'm trying to capture here. And the metaphors are, are so deep. I think John Downer has been quoted many times by saying that metaphor is the best tool for teaching. And the metaphors that we, that we learn on the mat, uh, being coachable, one of the primary ones, you know, if someone's not willing to show up on time and, and, and learn, it's, it's very hard to find success.
1: Yeah. And you know, you can see it almost instantaneously. Like it's very hard, just like in business, like when you're in the day to day aspect of the grind, so to speak, yeah. it's very hard to take a step back and really look at yourself and look at the opportunities and see the improvements. But as me as an athlete, like I've done that aspect throughout my entire career and it's how we developed and it's how we reached that highest level because we have that ability to kind of step back and look at ourselves with, you know, like a third party almost that doesn't know anything and actually judge ourselves without any bias. And we can make really good decisions based on that. And when you're coaching and doing things Now that I run a jujitsu school, you can almost see it in people where it's like, regardless of what I say, that if that person thinks they know what they're doing, they're just going to keep doing it. Like it won't matter. Like even from like, if I change some of the details on a triangle to like a blue belt or a purple belt, they'll just keep doing a triangle the same way they've been doing it for the last five years. Yeah. And you tend to, that's really a differentiator when it comes to working with higher level athletes is that key detail that we focus on and pay attention to and judging ourselves on right or wrong on the smallest of margins. Uh,
0: to that point, I, I remember, I hope I'm not going to quote this accurately, but I remember John Donahar speaking about you in,
1: in some video
0: or podcast many years ago. and He was talking about the fact that you've been able to cross over in so many disciplines and that you were a high level a judoka, a high level BJJ athlete, Wrestler, and what I think he said was that um, you know you were able to get to each one of those things relatively quickly. Yeah. Just back to what you were just saying, uh, your ability to learn, to get information, to be coachable, and to make those kind of changes was that. Were you conscious of it as you
1: were coming up? Did you know you were coachable? A hundred percent, and it was it was more of having the the understanding of coming into a new environment, trying to absorb what it had to offer instead of instilling myself into it. And I think a lot of people when they cross over, specifically in like the Judo and Jiu Jitsu world, where like Jiu Jitsu guys cross over into Judo and try mm-hmm. to instill jujitsu Jitsu as like being the premier of martial arts and proving a point that it's better than Judo. We're trying to take from judo into jujitsu. I went into every scenario as like I'm I might be an Olympic level athlete, but I'll throw my hands in the air and I'm I've never done this before, never been here. What do I need to know? And then I was fortunate enough to have John as a coach and Henzo as a coach and Gregor and Igor and all those guys helping me that actually know what they're doing. Right. So like from day one. I was doing the right things. I didn't actually have to go through that unlearning process, and that's just dumb luck. Yeah, you know. But I was fortunate enough to a be be humble enough to like not do judo when I do jujitsu. And believe it or not, like I was at Salo's training one time with Shanji, and he was watching me roll, and he was like, "Oh, you actually know how to do jujitsu?" And it's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good." it's like people always expect because normal judo people try to do judo at jujitsu that yes, I actually do jujitsu at jujitsu and we like, you'll see my mentality flip 180 degrees. If you want to stand up and do judo, Mm -hmm. even if we stand up at jujitsu, my mentality, my mannerisms, everything changes because we're in a different environment. I'm not, I'm not here for that level of, competition and ferocity and aggression that i would have on the judo mat because my life's work is judo if i lose an inch it matters Mm. if you pass my guard at jujitsu i just eh, whatever i'm just here just to have fun and improve and you know absorb everything that's there
0: yeah so well said i just can't even describe how grateful i am for you to say that and contribute to this, because hearing it from Olympic competitors and medalists, sometimes people who are starting out, they they don't think that they can apply that same belief and that same skill because they're not going to get to some high level. And I just don't buy that. Uh, I try to instill it in the most junior employees. And I try to reward people who solve problems by humbling themselves to say, like, I don't know. Or I know more than I'm giving myself credit for, one or the other. That's the dichotomy. But uh, hearing you say it, it's, it's like a, you know you get chills because you've applied this at the highest levels.
1: And you know what? It's, it's having that ability that I've learned just over the years is you can learn something from anybody at any point in time, regardless of the situation. And there's and there's two kind of major takeaways from that. One being, regardless of rank or status, information is information. And so when you're when you take that into account, um, for example, I was in France one time, and we were at the national training center. And what they did was they broke the entire group up into these five sections, and every coach taught. A different smaller group and then the groups rotated between the coaches yeah and one of my techniques that i use actually came from that experience i don't speak a word of french the guy that actually taught it isn't that good at judo but the the technique that he was teaching was sound and it was something that fit my body type and my style yep so i took it even though like the status between him being a coach and me being athlete, like I was a better athlete than he was, but the information is still there. No different than I could be walking around a judo mat and I could see a brown belt teaching a white belt. And he may, he may just say a sentence that makes that white belt click and understand the technique. And that gives me a coaching cue for the next time I'm teaching that technique at a camp, a clinic, or a class, that makes me a better person, even though I'm a better judo player than he is. And I'm always looking for those little insights and I've trained my body to like be aware of my surroundings and always pull in all that information, never disregarding everything and then having an internal funnel that says, "Nope, this is useless. That was stupid. I'll never say it to him. I'll take it because three years from now for judo, for example, the rules might change. And that one thing that guy said may be relevant three years from now. So I'm always storing and keeping that information, even though it never comes out. And I feel like when I'm dealing with college kids or kids fresh out of high school, when they're small pond going into a bigger one, so to speak, they take that big fish mentality in the small pond. And then they try to push it onto like, hey, I'm the popular kid going into college instead of just taking a step back and absorbing everything that this new environment has to offer to grow from it. I feel like a lot of people are very aggressive with like, I know, I know, I know, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And you know what, at the end of the day, when it comes to business, just like nutrition for athletes, textbooks are one thing, real life is another. Absolutely. Well, it's funny you made that metaphor about uh, kids going to
0: college. The very first episode of this podcast is one of my best friends, and he's not a jiu-jitsu player, but he has a great story, and he's a, he's a really great businessman, and he was incredibly popular in high school. And we discussed that when he went to college, it all just fell apart for him. He ended up in the Israeli military because he just couldn't hack it in college, yeah. uh, and we we discussed that exact thing. You know, we discussed that that big fish in a, a little fish going from being in a big pond, a small pond, to going into now you're in the big big real world
1: yeah i've always i've always approached everything in my life in a timeline sense meaning like where am i today and where do i want to be and how far and then what happens in the middle and i think a lot of people forget that um people like they look at like their idols they want to live that lifestyle Mm -hmm. But what they've never seen because nobody's ever displayed it is what they did from day one until they were able to live that lifestyle yeah so if i and everybody's starting point is a hundred percent different for example like me and bjj i may have the world's fastest path to black belt but my starting point was different Mm. right because i had the ability to learn i understood some of the terminology i knew how to move my body and i knew how to more importantly control another human right so if i'm doing anything like when i took on digital marketing for example you look at where the top players are and what they're doing and how they're doing it and the knowledge i know and then i fill that gap as quick as possible and sometimes that's 18 19 hour days it's just like that drive just has to be there it's not you know oh i have to work eight hour days and i got to put in 10 years it's how do i get there quickly and efficiently
0: Well, I I do want to get to that in a second, but I want to go back to something that you just, you just said before, uh, you were discussing. The first thing you said was, you know, sometimes you can't learn it in the textbook, but then, so the only thing I'm going to push back just for discussion purposes is, is about reading books. Cause you said, you know, you see your idols and you just think they got to there and they were always an Olympic champion or they were always a business leader. But one of the things I love about reading books, not necessarily textbooks, but book books, is that people are so generous with sharing the struggles and the failures. And, you know, a big part of my first book that I wrote was there were more failures in the book than there were the successes. You know, I've been blessed with a lot of business success. But it's kind of like training. I mean, I've tapped way more times than i have probably submitted people over the course of my 11 years doing martial arts and jiu jitsu. So, you know, i i just absolutely i love to read. You know that's why i'm writing this book.
1: It's not the only way. You can you can I guess I guess i should clarify that statement a little bit just because like nutrition is a great example for yeah. for people in general. So, when i was gearing up for 2016 I had a meeting with the USOC nutritionist whose sole job was working with cutting weight sports. And he took my body fat, he took my weight, and I was weighing like 192 pounds with like a 6.2, 6.3% body fat at the time. But I was competing at 178 pounds. And he was like, hey, it's too unhealthy to walk around and cut that much weight and compete, it's detrimental. You should either move up to 90 kilos, or we should get you on a nutrition plan to get your weight down and drop your body fat to like a 5.8, 5.5, so we don't want it to go to 5 to make the weight cut a little bit easier. And he wrote together this elaborate nutrition plan that, you know, according to a textbook and the numbers make 100% sense. Like, I get it. If you could stick to it, it would work, but then you throw real life into it and it's like, Hey man, like I'm on a plane every three weeks, like I got to travel out of a hotel. Sometimes one time I flew to like Azerbaijan, they served no food because the Federation forgot to pay for the food service. So we were eating out of a convenience store for four days while cutting weight for a grand slam. And it's like, Hey man, what do you want me to do? Because I can't food pack for two weeks in Europe with dried food to travel with it. The Federation's not going to pay for it. Even if I paid for the food, they don't serve the things on the menu. So how does your nutrition plan help me? And that's what I mean by like, you've got to be able to know it well enough to adapt to real life scenarios that makes you an expert in that field. And he was able to do it. And that's that difference between like, taking what you've read in a textbook with no real world experience yep. and having that balance where you can take a little bit of this, a little bit of that and make an informed decision instead of just a decision. I, I wonder if you've ever
0: come across at Henzo's, my sensei, Nardu Deborah. Have you ever trained with Nardu? You might, you might recognize him because uh, he's, he's there all the time. Yeah, there. I might recognize him. This guy, this guy right here, This is this is his book. Oh yeah.
1: I've seen him there.
0: Yeah. Long time black belt, unbelievable guy. And to your point now, one of the things he always says is, and this was a lesson he learned as a young man growing up in martial arts is he, he came back to his Sifu with, uh, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. It was signed by, uh, the Bruce Lee's, uh, one of his black belts and he, he brought it back to his Sifu his and he said, I read the book. I read the Tao of Jeet Kune Do and then his Sifu looked at him and say, "Okay, now become the book." And mm-hmm. I think that kind of you know reminds me of what you're saying is too. it's like you're not you need to live it out. Yeah. And no, no amount of what you're going to read in that book is gonna is gonna be helpful. And right? so I think
1: that's that factor where like people leave college with all yeah. this information and they forget that other half where it's like, hey, you go out into the world to start business, listen to the people with real world experience so that you can absorb it, yeah. and then make with both sets of information an informed decision and it could be the same one it may be yeah. but it doesn't mean you shouldn't neglect all that information and experience that people bring to the table yeah
0: absolutely couldn't be so 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 now back to the second thing time uh in, a, in another don donahart don, don video he talked he talks a lot about you and uh, <laughs> but i remember him talking about around the time that you were getting your black belt and you were up and back on that train you live in Massachusetts outside of Boston? Yeah, but driving at the time. Oh, you are driving?
1: Yeah, driving I, start, I didn't start taking the train until after 2016, <laughs> and I could afford it. I mean, yeah. to,
0: to think about the, the life of a professional athlete, athlete living in the Northeast, tr- shooting for an Olympic medal, driving up and back and up and back. I do a lot of business in Springfield, Massachusetts, and so okay. I'm, I'm doing that,
1: that trip. I mean all with a broken foot too. <laughs> and I drove a manual. It wasn't pleasant.
0: Listen, you, you really uh, you really embody struggle and, and, and the time and, and showing what it takes to to get great success. So when you're doing that and you're putting in those hours and you're putting in that work and you're you're on those drives, like what are you
1: doing on those drives? Uh, trying not to cry in pain, uh, sitting for long periods of time hurts. Cause I've torn my hamstring a few times. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it goes back to like you said, like metaphors make sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But for me, some of them are just outlandish. Like the idea, like reporters ask me all the time. So like, what did you sacrifice to get to where you are? And I personally believe in like the power of choice. So I don't sacrifice anything. Mm. Like, I don't have that desire to go out Friday night or Saturday night with friends, nor do I have friends that desire to do that. Mm. Right? Like I have acquaintances, like people I know that want to go out, but they don't invite me because they know that like, that's not our relationship and I'm going to tell them no anyways. Yeah. And they accept it. So the only people that really make sacrifices that help me excel, are like family and loved ones Mm. like my wife for example understands that i'm running four to five companies at once and if she doesn't schedule a date night then she doesn't get one because i leave my house before six and i get home at 10. yeah that's just the life she's agreed to because trying to set ourselves up for when we have kids and being able to afford it and understanding that i approach my business life at a deficit because I'm 34 I never went to college and I don't have 14 years of experience because I retired at judo at 30 with no, no, nothing. I had a high school diploma with a C grade point average. You know, I was thrown out of college. Yeah. You know, so like I have to make up that ground on everybody else that decided not to be a professional athlete and join the business world. So again, I'm looking at where I am today, where they are, and A, closing that gap, and then being able to surpass them with that work ethic. Well, the,
0: the the whole purpose of this project is to explore that you learn what you need on the mat. And being a professional athlete is a whole other level to that. But I would venture a guess running those companies and having been doing it for about four years, that you... You're doing a pretty damn good job, and there's not one path to success. I mean, correct. There are so many. One of the things I was discussing with Jimmy is this bank account of life, and I can't even imagine how many doors are open to you in the professional sports world, for judo fanatics, or for your gym, or for your working in the mat business, because of all of those deposits you made in the bank account of life all over the world. H- h- has it helped you?
1: Um, yes and no, like for judo fanatics getting off the ground, Mm -hmm. it was very simple to open up WhatsApp and go, Hey, we haven't spoken in a while. I have this project. You want to be a part of it? Sure. Like when I go overseas to Europe, to all the grand slams and I see all the guys, I can be like, Hey, you want to do this thing. And the kicker is with me, I've actually never had relationships with any of these people because when I was an athlete, I didn't talk to people. Like when I went on trips, that's like a business trip and one long business meeting. Right. Like I, it would be so far that I would go to the cafeteria and grab my food and not even eat there. I would take it back to my room so I didn't have to deal with them. So now that I'm going back and we have all that history and we can connect. Now I can bring those types of players over.
0: Yeah. Well, it's you know the the relationships whether you know whether how they were fostered is a different story. One and now you're I guess you're in the harvesting mode now. Yeah, you're gonna really begin to appreciate how just how many people you know
1: that are gonna be able to help build your career. Out and of you know there's just a level of respect that you get even at jujitsu, right? Regardless of class, regardless of education, when you train with somebody and you sweat with somebody there's a level of respect there that speaks volumes that I don't think you would ever get walking into a business meeting, for example, where like you're in a suit and tie and you're at a conference center and maybe that assistant is bringing in coffee and just setting the table. But when they're, you know, a purple belt and you're a blue belt, and even though you're a CEO and they're an assistant, there's a level of mutual respect where it it makes a difference at the end of the day. It absolutely does.
0: No, and this was, uh, you know, you you, you spark something on what you said before about you know not having even having any friends that would call you to want to go out. I think that was a, such a beautiful thing and something I'm really going to think about for this book because my life is reversed. My alter ego was martial arts. Mm. Everyone in my life, for the most part, didn't understand my my hobby. You know, they didn't understand the obsession. Uh, the need for complex problem solving and uh, human Rubik's Cubes. Like, they just didn't get this other part of my life. And they'd say, How's that? What, how are you still doing that karate thing? Yeah. Uh, and through doing this podcast and researching this book, it actually made me start to focus more on the relationships within the martial arts community and the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu community and say, Those kind of relationships are so important to foster. And Actually, the it harmonized the two things I love: business and jujitsu. You know, and I, I'm too guilty of having too much fun. You know, while you were out winning world championships and and pursuing Olympic gold, I was. You know, yeah, I was doing martial arts at night, but Friday night rolled around and I was partying. You know, I'm 35 yeah. now; I'm a year older than you. But from 22 to 30, right before I met my wife, I was just Having fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's something to think about. And if you can there are people that I know, younger people, who are maniacally focused on their careers and you listen, all balance is good. yeah. Unless you want to be a billionaire or win an Olympic Olympic athlete. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're a billionaire.
1: <laughs> I've always been accused of a training too hard, B overworking. And um, three lack of balance. And I think the important thing for people to realize is when you read those memes on social media, you hear certain things, you really got to take it with a grain of salt and take the concept and bring it internally to figure out what it is you need. Like, for example, I see this all the time with athletes competition ends we party yeah but it's it's a trigger that happens systematically in your brain no different than if you've conditioned yourself to hit the snooze button Mm -hmm. you're gonna hit the snooze button if you condition yourself to sit on the toilet for 30 minutes checking instagram then that's what you do it's like something that you just can't live without i look at balance as individual meaning if i can go you know three months with no break then i go three months with no break like my body and my mind tell me when i need it and for how long it's not just because of a date on a calendar like i work on christmas i worked on my wedding day like it's just that's in my nature to to do that otherwise i get anxiety and frustration and I tend to take it out on people around me because there are things I could be doing in my life to better my life and better the people I love and their lives and taking time off when I feel like I don't really need it. And there's a time where you deserve it and there's a time where you need it. And I focus more on the, I need it. than I really deserve it.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, do you think that that's, did you learn it or have you been, do you always remember being that way?
1: Um, I think it was really ingrained in me as a as a kid. I had a really strict, really strict martial arts instructor. Um I mean back to like the like sticks and like the hitting and the push-ups and the screaming and the cursing. And I think it was driven into me by a fear of like don't piss that guy off. Don't do it. Do whatever it takes to not mess up. I remember my first martial arts class, I was seven and I didn't know my rights from my left. So when he was teaching class and he was doing things, I was mirroring him when he, I wasn't listening. Mm -hmm. I was mirroring and he stopped the class and he screamed at me for 30 minutes, the whole class. All I did was get screamed at. And I was so embarrassed. I was so afraid. I made sure it never happened again. Mm -hmm. And it gave me that like, hyper focused, like rather than break down and just walk away, I actually enjoyed it. Like the actual sport aspect, even though I was getting yelled at and it, it made me hyper aware of my surroundings and seeing and listening at the same time to pay attention to the details, to make sure this thing never happened again. Mm-hmm. And now when I watch like John coaching or somebody coaching, I can see something practice it for two minutes and do it to people in the room. Do you think that has anything to do with I personally believe he's
0: one of the most effective communicators I've ever come across. Uh, his teaching style for me, the way that he teaches, I've, I've taken a few of his seminars and I have a load of his videos. Um, I get what he's saying, you know, when he's communicating a technical detail and the reason why you need to do it, he's like speaking my language. Do you
1: have the same experience? Um, Not really as much as I think the biggest problem a lot of people have is what John does really well is he alleviates doubt in the sound of his voice, to his delivery, to the words he chooses. It's no different than if you took a boxing lesson from Mike Tyson and you knew how to watch boxing and take the information out, having him said nothing you could get it. John can communicate really well. And as he's communicating, he's relieving that, that he's relieving you of that doubt that makes you feel more confident so that you want to try the technique. It's not that the other coaches are wrong. It's that you're going into the situation as a person with doubt or an understanding of how you already thought it should be. Mm -hmm. I went into jujitsu with whatever he says goes. I, I clearly have no idea, Yeah, and I tell my students that all the time, I'm like, why does how you feel matter? You're a white belt, you're a blue belt, you're a purple belt, you're a brown belt, like admit to yourself that you don't know, and just accept it for what it is, but that ego gets involved, and when I went into jiu-jitsu, whether it was Henzo, holes, Greg, or it didn't matter, whatever they said was true, Yeah. until I found out otherwise, which I never really did. Yeah, that's
0: uh, that. That is the martial arts concept or Japanese concept of shoshin. You know, beginner's mind, and it's it's so it's so great to hear it repeated over and over again from from people who it has had
1: a great you know profound impact on their life. And I remember, I remember one time I was we were we were building a website, right? And I brought this guy in who does e-commerce marketing Mm -hmm. ppc marketing and he makes millions of dollars marketing and he was giving us tidbits with me and this other guy on you know what the website should look like like color codes theory and he was like hey you should really contrast your website with a green button and the guy sitting next to me argued tooth and nail Meanwhile, this guy is giving like free advice who makes a living solely on this thing. And the other guy is arguing, pulling up Google to say, hey, there have been stats in the marketplace. And it's like that right there is why people struggle. Because for me, I would have just made the button green. Like, and you continue- this, like <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. Right. I'm. He's better at it than I am. Let's just make the button green. And if it doesn't work, we can change it later. Well,
0: this, this, this wasn't something that I wanted to speak to you about, but I'm happy that you bring this up because one of my favorite metaphors for martial arts and and competition in general is that is taking risk. Uh, you know, this guy, he could have just taken a risk. I mean, we wouldn't have changed his life to try it for two months. He could have proven the guy wrong. Correct. But You know, and and this is also something that I I heard John say in person, but he talked about Bernard Hopkins talking about when is someone their most vulnerable? When they're throwing the punch, they become their most vulnerable, opening up an area for a counterattack. And I'm interested to know if you've applied what you know about risk and taking risk and competition into the business world. You know, you just illustrated a metaphor of someone who is just,
1: you know. They just can't let it go. And it's funny because when you point it out to something so blatantly obvious, when they're in it and they get into that argumentative negative mindset, they clearly came to the conversation with it. No different than when I'm teaching a technique and one of my students is like, well, what if I do this? And it's like, you're coming here with the idea of like trying to learn and beat it at the same time. So you're not really devoted to the learning aspect of the technique instead of just accepting it for what it is. And John does a very good job of that. He teaches like, nope, this is the scenario. This is when this tool is used. And this is it. The rest of the world doesn't matter. The rest of jujitsu doesn't matter. And, And I think when I'm talking about taking risk, whether it be in business or in martial arts, it's really diving down to like that very narrow view of the situation and saying, what is the real risk right here for this one thing, you know? And I guess for me, it's, it's the gauge on worst case scenario. And if I can accept that as being a possibility, because then anything less than that, is acceptable. So for judo, for example, if I'm gonna try to throw you and I feel like I'm forcing it, is it like, am I gonna score? Maybe not. No problem. I'll pull the trigger every time. Hmm. Right? Because I'm gonna break you down. Cause I'm not feeling like like the weighingness to the counter isn't there. And I'm okay with anything from that counter up. We're we're okay. You know, it's no different than when you're running those PPC campaigns. It's like, where's that threshold from like, we're making a mistake and anything above that, we're comfortable. Yep. There's no, it's black and white for me. Yeah. Well, and
0: interesting, I like to draw the parallel with, with internet marketing because you are, you're measuring risk in, in a way, almost like trading commodities or, or trading stocks. It's a, it's a similar methodology. Yeah. But I, was, I went to go look, I went on your YouTube channel in advance That's- of this interview <laughs> and I went through all the different techniques, technique videos and I was looking and I was looking for something and I, and then I found it and it was, um, something to the effect of the strategies that you use in competition. And one of the, it was like a live stream that you had done a couple months back, maybe in July. And one of the first concepts you taught was about staying directly in front of your opponent. And you don't want to be slightly off to the side because you want to cross their arm in front of them. Yeah. And that, that to me rung so true for business also when you're out there competing. And I think – no, I know that you said this at, at some point. It's in my memory. I, it was something to the effect of they can't beat you. Only you can beat you when you – if you were to play 100% mistake-free, mistake you wouldn't lose. And the only time you lose is when you make those micro mistakes. The power of choice. Yeah. And accepting it. It's that is the perfect business metaphor. I tell that to my teens all the time I said, don't worry about the competitors. Don't worry about the sale. They're running. Don't worry about what they did to their website today. You can only affect how you operate, what you do, how well you do it, how make, how you optimize the campaigns. That's what I was talking yeah. about. The PPC campaigns. Nothing they do. And what I tell them all the time is you might be copying them and they're about to be out of business you're making some bonehead decision that they make. Cause it looks like five other companies are doing it. And I'm not, I'm in the women's apparel business and the real estate business. Those are the two things that I do. Primarily I have other businesses and investments, but the, I'm the CEO of mixology clothing company. We have 12 stores, about 225 employees and the website and then the real estate business. And I'll often have a manager come to me and say like, we need to do this because this competitor's doing it. And I'll say, What if they go out of business tomorrow? Yeah. You know, so, um, I was not to repeat myself, but when you said that about staying in front of them and not getting off balance, that, that is that.
1: Yep. Everything's a choice. Don't follow, just focus on yourself, stay on your path, your alignment and just set those micro goals for yourself. So that you get used to winning consistently. Yeah. And people, people only see like pie in the sky and it's, it's such a hard thing to teach people because they feel like the micro goal of like the day in day out is achievable. So it's not worthy. And it's like, but if it's achievable, then achieve it for me and just show me you can do it but they don't get that that rush of exhilaration um cuz it they don't understand that compounding um aspect to judo to business to anything in martial arts right yeah so it's i wish there was a way to just instill that in people and get them to like understand that like you can't just hit a home run every time like sometimes contact is a good thing Right. If you always make contact with the ball, you'd never strike out. That's right. I,
0: I, I think about that every day. As a matter of fact, my personal struggle is to, and why I'm so fascinated with risk is I'm very, I'm too patient. I'm too, I'll stay in the game forever. Uh, I've had to push myself as my career has gone on and I've gotten much better at this through martial arts with taking the risk, at the chance of losing and knowing that it's not, it's okay to, to fail or to lose. Or sometimes I'll make a big investment to open up a store that's in a little outside of my budget or a little in a little too nice of a market. And we were scared to do that 10 years ago, but now having been in the business for 12 years or going on 12 years, um, I'm a little bit more bold in my decision-making and I'm, I'm happy to go after something that I. You know, people think, oh, it's a little bit of an imposter syndrome, but now I feel like, no, I'm going to go after it with everything that I've got because I the confidence to know that I could actually get it done and
1: deliver. Um, I think a lot of that confidence comes from just that knowledge of being in the industry and having enough mistakes along with successes to understand that you could juggle the mistakes and you know enough to correct them. There's not that fear Mm -hmm. of like, what happens if it fails? And I think for like jujitsu, even in business, that lack of knowledge is what really prevents people from pushing the envelope because if it doesn't work, what happens? And they don't have good, I guess, plan Bs, so to speak, or problem-solving abilities to figure it out. I also don't, but I also trust in my ability to figure it out. Yeah. Like I, I believe in my intelligence to a figure it out myself or find somebody who can help me figure it out. Yeah. That's,
0: that is the key to business. That is it. I mean, you really just nailed the whole essence of being in business, which is, uh, and, and by the way, the motto of my company, which is we're a culture of creative problem solvers (laughs) and I often have a manager. And they come to me and they want me to keep making the manual bigger and bigger and bigger, more processes, more procedures. So if you can't have a process for everything, you just have to use your brain. You know, sometimes it just comes down to, let me figure this out at any cost. Let me, like you just said, I'll call someone until I get it done. If I don't know how to
1: do it myself. Here's so, a question. How many emails do you get from people in your company where they didn't actually take 10 minutes to figure it out themselves? They sent an email and was like, hey, let me know how to do this or answer this question instead of taking their time to slow down and then figure it out a lot in the
0: past and i've done two things that i'm really excited to share here and i'll use this as a clip the the two ways that i was able to get around that was with really clear and easy effective communication so we do a zoom call all hands zoom call every single day at 10 a.m and we have we installed slack at my company now We have Slack now, 2020, post, post-quarantine, post you say, okay, great, you have Slack in your company. Well, over the past 10 years, I had tried to deploy Slack on four separate occasions, but I wasn't able to get buy-in from the team. I have retail workers. They are not in front of their computers all day. They're on their feet. It's hard. You have a lot of junior staff, high school and college girls. Mm-hmm. The women who run stores are sometimes not tech savvy. They're yeah. women of a different generation. And so I fell on my face four times with it. But when we were forced to close our business on March 16th, we got 100% company buying in one day because they had to do it. And so those two mechanisms have helped uh, really get clear, effective communication and also accountability. And so every day I'm speaking the same way I'm speaking to you right now. I speak to my whole entire company. There could be upwards of 100 people on the call and they're hearing it unfiltered from my mouth. Yeah. And I'm promoting our core values. And one of our core values is being creative and being a problem solver. And then we have what's called an LMS, a learning management system, where I create all these courses and we're, we're training how to be better at that. Um, but to your point, the first six or seven years of my company, every single day, ring, ring, ring. How wow. do I fit the printer? Ring, ring, ring. What do I do about the point of sale? <laughs> yeah, <it's good>. yeah. <laughs> You know, we're we're gonna wrap up in a few minutes and I'm I'm so grateful for your time, but I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Jimmy. Um, I asked him this question too. Are you aware of the relationship between uh, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike and Bill Bowerman, his track coach and founding partner of Nike? Do you know about that dynamic in that story? Bill Bowerman was the coach of Oregon track for generations. And he was always looking for a leg up for his track athletes. And so he was constantly tinkering with how to make shoes. So he was trying to make them lighter, faster, more traction. And Phil Knight, who started, started Nike, he was never the best track athlete, but he became like the Guinea pig for, for Bill Bowerman. And Bill was kind of like this star in the industry and, and, and Phil went, graduated, got, went to get his MBA. And then he conceptualized Nike, and I'm just, I just I love the dynamic. First of all, it's like one of the best books ever written. It's called Shoe Dog. It's about the story of Nike, but it just reminds me kind of your of your relationship with Jimmy. I don't know it only from the outside looking in, but he was your coach. He you know he was started the Olympic the Junior Olympic program or the U twenty three program. If I'm getting right. yeah. And then now you guys are in business together. I mean,
1: is that do you see is there a metaphor there? Is there a connection? You know, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things where it started when I was really young and he started young in his career as a coach. Um, you know, I was part of the first team he ever coached, and we just kept growing as individuals until that friendship kind of blossomed into something that was just part of everyday life you know even from like my later stages as an athlete up until i was 30. you know and during the later stage of my career from 20 like 13 through 2016 I had taken a chunk of my day to not focus on being a professional athlete all the time. And again, working on that balance where I started focusing on what happens after Rio when I retire, if I retire, because there was conversations about continuing and I ended up taking a lot of internet marketing stuff. Um, Mike Zenga, the founder of uh, BJJ super deals BJJ fanatics, We use, he's actually my BJJ student. So believe it or not, I've been around since BJJ Fanatics first started. We used to have these like little 30, 40 minute meetings on like ideas and concepts and websites and how to get things done. And he's actually the guy that showed me how to work Google AdWords at like one o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock at night after jujitsu, because we'd go down to like a local restaurant that was open till 4am and he would just teach me. I would teach him jujitsu he would teach me internet marketing and before you knew it i was in japan setting up drop shipping from china through ebay stores trying to make like ends meet setting up like pop-up websites to sell like used geese and like hand-me-down stuff and like old fuji gear and i was just trying to like figure out the whole thing so when i retired i kind of just went to fuji sports and was like well here's how I can help the company. Yeah, And it started with like a super, super small role. And it's just kind of grown ever since. And since the close of 2016, working for Fuji sports, Jimmy and I have started a nonprofit called project 2024. We've raised, I think $250,000 put on like another $150,000 worth of seminars. We've taken kids to Europe twice hosted camps all over the country. And then we started another business, which was the American judo system, which is an online monthly subscription website for judo development in all of America to kind of unify the continent against Europe and Asia. That's great.
0: Yeah. He mentioned American Judo system to me. I got to, uh, I'm going to email him for some more info.
1: I, I'm looking for it. Is it, it's a new, it's a new venture, right? New venture, not even up yet. Still okay. building, still building the splash page and everything. It should launch in a couple of weeks. Yeah. If everything goes smoothly.
0: Well, the reason why I brought it up with Bowerman and Phil Knight was just because I, when I see, when I see guys like you attacking business, I just get so excited because I love business as much as I love jujitsu. And i like, you get these guys that are Olympic Olympians and now you're dedicating your time and attention to all these businesses and you just know you are only four years in, but I know in 10 years from now, 14 years in, it's, you can see the trajectory. It's pretty, it's pretty
1: clear for me to see anyways, as an investor to it's see. What's funny going on. Was when, when we, when I talked to Bernardo about this, cause we're both high level athletes, like at the top of our fields, right? Yeah. And now we both kind of have made that transition into business in different areas. But we work together in some aspects that when I was getting ready to compete against Yuri at Fight to Win, me and him were training and we would get together and we're like, you know what, like this just doesn't interest us anymore. Yeah. Like we would spend like more time talking about the funnel and the emails and the data yeah. than we would like actually participating in the training. Because wow. it's it just that excites us more than the mats. Like we can actually walk into a room fully yeah. dressed with gis and spend forty five minutes talking about, you know, business, five minutes training and an hour of business after because yeah, like it just doesn't it doesn't motivate us. Where like the flip side is true for everybody else, where like they started in business and now they're getting into jujitsu and that excites them. We're just at opposite ends of the scale. Yeah, except that uh, I'm, I'm fighting
0: father time with my body and 24-year-old yeah. <laughs> guys are just so fast. But uh, yeah. I'm, hopefully I'm going to keep getting better for the next 10, 10 15 years or so. Um, well, listen, absolute pleasure. I, I can't thank you enough for, for giving your time to this project. I hope that uh, I can come up and visit you in, in Massachusetts over the next couple months when the world gets back to the normal. I, I'd really love to train at uh, your school. And um, and if, if you don't mind, I might call you in a couple months for if, as as this research progresses with a question or two. Of but, course. Uh, really, really grateful. Thank you.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.